This is Bedside, a podcast series on a mission to debunk sex. I'm your host, Tatiana, and each week we'll uncover stories, ideas, routines, and expert information to help guide you on your ever-evolving journey of good sex. We believe that through democratizing sexual wellness, we can shift cultural taboos and make way for authentic and limitless access to pleasure, joy, and connection to the body. The lifestyle, when I think about caring for women and your relationship with your gynecologist, I think of it as establishing a partnership with a doctor who you trust, who can really help you and guide you on taking care of all of you. So your mental health, your physical health, your emotional health, your sexual health, and all the different nuances that come with it. So typical gynecology appointment, most people think of it as you go to your doctor once every one to three years and you get a breast exam and a pap smear and off you go. And that's a shame because that's really simplifying what the true meaningful and valuable relationship with the gynecologist should consist of. On the podcast today, I'm so excited to welcome my beloved OBGYN, Dr. Shamsa Amersi. Dr. Amersi is based in Santa Monica, Los Angeles, and is one of the country's leading and most recognized OBGYs. She graduated the top 1% of her medical school at UCSF, has won national awards throughout her career for her work in women's health. She's delivered over 10,000 babies during her career, including being the personal physician to high-profile clients and celebrities. What I love so much about Shamsa is her personalized, holistic approach to healthcare. She really builds a close partnership with each and every one of her patients to help them reach their full potential, and that's exactly what we delve into in our conversation today. We talk holistic wellness and what that should and can look like, finding good doctors you love, and we really get into how our hormones influence everything in our health, not just our fertility. Dr. Shamsa also shares her lifestyle tips for happy hormones, wellness routines, her experience with PMDD, which guys, this is so wild. I can't wait for you to hear her story and just what this exactly is, and you might have some aha moments while listening. And she also shares how her warm and caring bedside manner is really what has created her coveted BFF vibe every time you visit the office. I kid you not, I tell every single person that I know to go see Dr. Amercy. She is an incredible physician, and you'll just hear that through the podcast today as well. I firmly believe that we all deserve to find good doctors that we love, that we trust, that have a holistic approach, that are really going to be listening and attentive to you, and they are out there, I promise. So if anything, I hope that this conversation not only just inspires you in the moment, but inspires you long-term to find incredible doctors that you can just put in your corner and know are completely looking out for you, just like Dr. Amercy is. So without further ado, let's get to the interview. Dr. Shamza, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. 
you are not only my OBGY, but you are also the OBG for so many people in LA. And you're also quite a celebrity OBG. But I just want to welcome you to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to finally get a chance to sit down and chat with you about all things women. Yes, exactly. So I'll kick off this intro that you are my OBG here in LA. And I remember being so blown away with you because I walked into your office and I sat down and you, you know, we got into the talk, we were doing our annual and you were like, are you on hormones, synthetic hormones for contraception? And I was like, no, I'm not. And I was very nervous to say that because I'd gotten previously a lot of shame around that from my OBGYs. And you were like, great, love to hear it. And you kind of moved on. And I was just sitting there in shock because I was almost like bracing myself for you to tell me something else. And from there, it was like, oh, this is incredible. I'm obsessed. And ever since I've told almost all my friends that they have to go see you and the text messages that I get when they leave your office are just 10 out of 10 stars. I mean, it's incredible. I'm so happy to hear that, you know, and I love when my patients come and see me and they're willing to go on this journey with me of getting to know their bodies without being masked by synthetic hormones and learning about what their bodies are doing, learning if they have any hormonal imbalances, and most of all, getting to know the root cause of some of the symptoms that we struggle with as women at all points of our life cycle and during um, our hormone changes that we go through at different milestones. I was really pleased when you came in and you shared with me that you had chosen to not be on birth control pills. And I obviously, as a gynecologist, I want my patients to practice safe sex and to be preventative if they're not planning to have a pregnancy. But I also like the idea of getting to reset our bodies and working in collaboration with my patients to doing a deep dive into what's going on inside their hormones and putting a picture together and giving you guys data points so we can use that as a stepping stone for really optimizing your well-being. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that is the conversation I'm so excited to have and get into. And it's what all of the listeners and followers were talking about even today. They were like, we want to hear about holistic wellness. We want to hear about how we can kind of follow our femininity and our sexual energy in the way that we want to do it and maybe not in a way that we feel like has been always prescribed to us from a really young age. So I cannot wait to get into this conversation. But before we do so, I kind of want to get a little background on you and hear a little bit more about what your cultural upbringing was like and just what your messaging around sex and relationships was because you work in this amazing field, but I always love to hear kind of how you got there and and what that looked like for your own coming of age. So ironically, my upbringing was extremely conservative and very strict and very misinformed. I'm Muslim and I grew up in Africa. So I'm one of my families from Africa. I grew up in Nairobi, Kenya in a very traditional, strict Muslim household. So I went to private school in in Nairobi, all girls. The only boys I ever had exposure to were my brothers and very shielded. And there was no conversation about sexuality. There was no conversation about our bodies changing. In Africa, especially, there were no resources. So when I was 10 years old, I started my menstrual cycle. 
And I had no idea what that was. I had two older sisters, but no one ever talked about these things. So I, I saw blood and I literally thought I was dying. I thought that I was like slowly bleeding to death and I didn't know what to do. Oh my gosh. And, finally, and 10 is ten is kind of young, right? 10 is young. Yeah. 10 is very young. So to go through early puberty in Africa was not really the most ideal scenario to be in as a 10-year-old. So I finally went to my mother and I told her that I think I'm dying, I'm bleeding, and I'm I, help me. All she did was she gave me a pad. And the pads in Africa were not like, you know, the pads we have here. They were like cloth pads, like wearing a diaper almost. It was horrible. And that was the only extent of what she shared with me. There was no information that was given to me about what this is going to look like and it's going to happen once a month. I had zero education. And the next day, my father, a very stern, older man, tells me, because my, as my mom had shared with him that I started my period, he tells me, now if you get kissed by a boy, you can get pregnant. That was it. That was my sex education. Okay. So fast forward, now six months later, my younger brother gives me a kiss on my cheek. And so I'm convinced now I'm going to get pregnant by my brother. Like that's how traumatized I was because of the misinformation at 10 years of age, not being told any information that made any sense to me and really grappling with what was happening to my body in a very confused way. Then going through my teenagers, because I was in such a strict household, I wasn't allowed to date. I wasn't allowed to have friends who were boys. If a boy called my house to speak to me, they would be told that I wasn't at home. I wasn't allowed to go to parties. It was a very, very strict upbringing, very sheltered. And sexuality was not even a discussion that women would be encouraged to have. Forget encouraged to have. I was forbidden to talk about it. So when I was growing up and I was learning about my body and feeling things, it was very confusing and scary because I didn't know what to do with all of the changes that was happening through me as I was going through adolescence and with my you know hormone surges that I was experiencing. And then we transitioned to Canada when I was 15 years of age. And that was a huge cultural shock for me because I went from being extremely sheltered to being thrown into a public school with boys and having crushes on boys and not knowing what to do with this. And then again, not being able to talk about sex with anybody or have any type of education. In Canada, we had some very generic sex education in class. But again, it was the basics that are so predated and not useful for all the changes that you're going through. So it was a struggle for me. It was a real struggle for me going through a time in my life where women's sexuality was suppressed, not discussed. You were not allowed to discuss sex. You were not allowed to feel pleasure. You were not allowed to explore. You weren't allowed to ask questions. It was a very restrictive, suppressed time in my life. And it wasn't until I reached medical school where I was able to finally have some freedom from the traditional household that I was in, that I was able to come of age much later than most people in my class in medical school, and then really start to explore sexuality and come to terms with what that looked like for me and feel comfortable with what I was exploring. Wow. And I mean, so when you were in medical school, were you like, I'm going to go down the field to be an OBGY? I'm kind of curious what 
led you to wanting to specifically do that? Was it your own sexual awakening and growing up that made you think, I want to kind of be that provider for other people to be able to kind of pave the way and give them permission and education and just healthcare around this? When I started medical school, because I was very academically driven and really looking for like a very competitive and academically challenging pathway, I was leaning towards becoming a surgeon. So that was my initial intentions um, entering medical school. But when I went to medical school in San Francisco, it was like one of the top medical schools in the country. I was so privileged because I was around the forefront of thought leaders in different fields of medicine. I started realizing I loved every single part of medicine. I loved psychiatry and the treatment of the mind and how the chemicals worked in our brain to make us feel certain things and learning about mood disorders. Then I tried endocrinology and I loved the whole study of hormones. And then I went into primary care medicine and I, you know, because we spend a month to two months at each field to decide what we like. Every field, I loved it. I loved operating during surgery. And then I was finally realizing that all of the fields that I loved could be encompassed in one specialty, which was obstetrics. As an OBGYN, I would be able to perform surgeries, take care of patients' mental health using psychiatry and psychology, using endocrinology to map out the hormones that we go through, primary care, which was wonderful because we learned a lot about wellness and preventative care and disease prevention, not just diagnosis, but prevention. And then when I finally went through obstetrics and started delivering babies, it was a game changer for me. I realized that through this specific pathway, I would be privileged to share with women at each juncture in their life the different changes that we go through. Like there's a need for a gynecologist when you're in your teenage years through adolescent gynecology, all the way through menopause and beyond. And so I realized that I would be able to be fortunate enough to experience all of my passions under one umbrella. And that was very exciting to me. And I love the fact that more than anything, you develop such a meaningful relationship with your patients. That's, you know, a two-way gift in terms of the intimacy that a woman shares with you as a patient in the field of gynecology. You go through the most intimate, vulnerable, most beautiful, and sometimes sad moments in a woman's life, whether it's changes of being an adolescent and preparing for your reproductive years, going through sometimes infertility struggles or miscarriages, and then going through the magical journey of becoming a mother for those women who choose to go down that path. And then the changes that happen after motherhood through postpartum and pregnancy and Um, And then now what I'm experiencing is a 49-year-old, which is the lovely world of perimenopause and menopause. So it's been a really interesting and magical journey for me and a very rewarding one. I mean, I can't imagine because as you're explaining this, we're really talking about transitions and growth, right? And you're involved in every single stage of it. And I think what's so interesting and I think what's so not looked at when we think of the concept of going to an OBGYN and forming a relationship with one and really welcoming an understanding of being in a female body. I think it's so integral. And I what I want to say is that a lot of the time it's kind of culturally missed, right? Like we're like, oh, 
is this really necessary or we're not quite behind the ball because we're just anticipating our next transition but not getting informed about it, right? A lot of people are not looking into what their fertility means until potentially they want to have kids or they're not understanding what perimenopause is or menopause is until that chapter hits. And I think What's so amazing is you're a part of all of these transitions, but you're also there to kind of guide your patients along the way. I tell my patients that my job is to think a few steps down the road for them. So with each decade that we go through as women, it's preparing you for the next decade. And so what you do in your teenagers manifest into how your 20s will look like. And then your 20s are really important because in your 20s and your early 30s, that's setting the pathway for what your reproductive journey will look like. And so during your 20s, that's a time of, you know, sexual exploration and, you know, experimenting and also the really important discussions about contraception and putting hormones in your body, sorting out if there's a hormonal imbalance and getting your body ready for the next phase. And, you know, I have patients in their twenties who obviously what I remember when I was in my twenties, the last thing you're thinking about is becoming a mother and having babies, but it's not even about just sorting out your hormones in case you want to have a baby. It's also sorting out your hormones and getting to know your body in every sense because not your hormones can affect you in multitude of ways. It affects your emotional health, your sexual health, your libido, your physical appearance. It affects your cortisol levels. And so the lifestyle, when I think about caring for women and your relationship with your gynecologist, I think of it as establishing a partnership with a doctor who you trust, who can really help you and guide you on taking care of all of you. So your mental health, your physical health, your emotional health, your sexual health, and all the different nuances that come with it. And sometimes you won't need as much attention in certain areas, but wellness is really starting from the inside out. So typical gynecology appointment, most people think of it as you go to your doctor once every one to three years and you get a breast exam and a pap smear and off you go. And that's a shame because that's really simplifying what the true meaningful and valuable relationship with the gynecologist should consist of. So can you tell us what a true relationship should look like? What are those different pillars that you think are really important that we should be looking into more closely or valuing a little bit more? The first and foremost is to find a doctor that you feel comfortable with, somebody who you feel that you can be open with and share your health, including your sexual health with, without feeling judged or shamed. Having being vulnerable and being open and sharing the most intimate details of your sexual health, especially requires a trust and it requires a comfort level. So if you feel fairly quickly that you don't have that connection with the doctor where you can just be heard and listened, you know, someone can just listen to you and support you and not judge you and just sit in what you're expressing and then help navigate you through your concerns and your questions. You're with the wrong doctor. So you first of all need to feel that sense of comfort and that you're feeling heard and seen. I love that. Just to kind of interject in there, 
I liken finding doctors to going on first dates. And so when you are shopping around for a doctor, it's okay if you, if we're sticking with this date metaphor, it's okay if you go on a date with someone, you had an okay time or maybe not such a great time and you don't need to follow up, right? And I think that's similar to how we can shop around for doctors, like date around. (laughs) Yes. And you don't have to just stick with one doctor. Like I have patients that have other gynecologists and then they come to me and most of them, if not all, they end up just transferring care to me. But what they expressed to me over and over again is that they felt like they were just being dismissed. So when they would go to a doctor and say, I'm having irregular periods, or I'm having hormonal acne, or I feel like my hormones are off, you just feel like something's off. And it's a very vague, something's off complaint. I feel like something's off. I can't really quite tell, but I'm not feeling myself. And a doctor just will brush you off and say, oh, it's stress. Like that's the number one go-to that all women are told. Like it's stress and just, you know, go exercise and eat better. And let's put you on some birth control pills. You're sexually active. And the minute the appointment's over in five minutes or less, that's when you have to pause and maybe look around because so many of the symptoms that we experience as women, whether it's mood changes, fatigue, unexplained weight gain, bloating and gut health symptoms, hormonal acne, hair loss, loss of libido, pelvic pain, period pain. I mean, the list of symptoms that can constitute a hormone imbalance is so broad. And when you start thinking about what your symptoms are, I always encourage my patients when they see a doctor, make a list of the things that you're noticing that don't feel right to you. And then bring them up at your appointment and say, these are my concerns and these are the symptoms that I'm noticing that don't feel right or I'm concerned about. And I wanted to explore them with you and get to understand why I'm feeling this way. And if you feel that you're being dismissed and your symptoms are being brushed off or you're pigeonholed into quick diagnosis without getting data points and having a conversation and getting some feedback and then suggestions on how we can navigate through this. And it's not going to all be done in one appointment. It usually takes several appointments and hormone testing and ultrasounds. But if you feel like the doctor's not willing to go on that journey with you to get to understand you, that's really important. If you feel like you're with a doctor that's going to pass judgment about your sexuality and your sexual explorations and how your relationships look or don't look, what your fertility goals are, and just feeling like you're being judged or not understood and not being treated as an individual, that's also really important because every patient of mine is treated differently. So for example, if I have patients with hormonal imbalances, such as PCOS. And if I see 10 patients or 15 patients in a day with PCOS, each one of my conversations with those patients will be a different conversation because their hormones are manifesting in different ways and their goals with respect to their hormones are also not identical. Wow. You're so correct in that we can really have an array and a team, like you mentioned earlier, of doctors working with us and being able to feel like we can be our true authentic selves and speak our truths about our health so that we can really optimize it to its best ability. And then if women are of different racial backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, sexual backgrounds, that's also important to make sure you have a doctor that will look at you and look at the unique circumstances that you're in. Because 
race plays a role in terms of certain conditions that are more prevalent. Cultural upbringing, especially like for myself as somebody from a very strict Muslim background, I know that many of my patients who are raised in backgrounds similar to mine or cultures that are similar to mine have really had their sexuality suppressed. So even women in their 50s and 60s have never even experienced an orgasm or know what that feels like or know that they should actually be experiencing pleasure during sex. And those are conversations to ask our patients and to make sure that they feel like they can actually explore those parts of their life that have been suppressed and hidden for so long. Oh my gosh, that's so amazing that you even get into that because I know so many doctors don't even go as far as to have a conversation like that. So it's just incredible to hear But I would love to also continue with what some of your pillars were for kind of that more holistic experience. So we've got the doctor relationship. We've got talking about race and pleasure. What else are we having conversations around? So education is very important. When women come and see me and they discuss their medical history, the way we've been raised as doctors and as patients, is that we view synthetic hormones as no big deal. So many of our patients will come to me and they'll say, I'll ask them if they're on any medications. And the answer oftentimes is just birth control. Oh, I'm just on birth control. Or sometimes they're like, no, we're not on anything. And then when they leave, they'll say, oh, by the way, we need refills for the birth control pill. And the way we've been raised in this medical world is we just are prescription happy. So we write out prescriptions very quickly. And it's almost a given that if you're young and you're sexually active, you should be on birth control pills. Some women are given birth control prescriptions as early as 13 or 14, whether it's for acne or painful periods, and then eventually for contraception. And There's obviously a utility with being on birth control pills, and I do prescribe birth control pills, but there has to be a pause and some education about, let's first talk about what's happening to your body. Let's try to help you understand it. Let's do some testing to make sure we're not missing anything else. And then let's also talk about options for contraception and also what the long-term risks and benefits are of being on these types of medications. And the problem is that birth control pills are just automatically prescribed once a year. Some people don't even have to see a doctor to get refills for two, three years. And that's sad because there's so many side effects from birth control pills. I liken it to putting a Band-Aid over your ovaries and or a blanket over your hormones. So you have no idea what your actual hormones are doing. You have no idea if you have a hormonal imbalance. And most importantly, you have no idea how your body's actually working. So having a doctor that works with you in collaboration to sort out when might be the right time for you to start that journey or explore that journey, when might be the right time for you to stop birth control pills or take a pause just to let your body reset and to go through the medications that you're taking. And yes, prescriptions, there's a utility for prescriptions. And I use lots of prescriptions for the majority of my patients. But there are also different types of prescriptions we can use for our patients to help them feel better. So there are prescriptions using acupuncture and herbs and supplements. There's prescriptions where we can talk about resetting our body through diet and exercise and healthy nutrition. There's prescriptions involving mental health, so therapy, and really doing a deep dive into 
our emotional health, which really impacts our physical health. And so having a doctor navigate with you through all the different types of prescriptions, holistic as well as the traditional prescription pads that we use, is essential. Because it shouldn't just be a quick prescription and off you go. If you're with a doctor who just quickly writes your prescription but doesn't offer you other options or other adjuncts to help you optimize your health, then you're being shortchanged. Oh my gosh. This is so juicy because I've never heard this in my entire life. I'm obsessed with this. I would love to hear more about those more natural, if you will, like Eastern options because I know... A lot of the time when we're talking about OBGY, we're really talking about Western medicine and prescriptions and all that sort of stuff. But I would really love to hear more details around diet and supplementing. I know that even you, when I saw you, you were talking me up about my vitamin C. And so I'd kind of love to hear about how those sort of things influence our fertility and our hormones. So much of our hormonal balance comes from our gut. Our gut health is really tied to our hormones. I encourage my patients to focus on macronutrients first, which means really eating a clean diet. And now all of us, myself included, are human and we all are not able to eat perfectly clean. But when I say clean, I encourage my patients 80% of the time to try their best to eliminate gluten from their diet. Gluten causes a lot of gut health inflammation It causes a surge in the hormone insulin to be released from your body. And when you have an excessive amount of insulin circulating in your body, that causes an increased production of testosterone. It causes storage of fat cells instead of using the energy we eat for fuel. And it causes the hormonal imbalance that can start from the inside out. Same with dairy. Dairy really causes a lot of our patients to also have a hormonal imbalance where they produce extra testosterone in their body and it can cause a little bit of an imbalance. And then sugar. Processed sugar is really something that changes our micronutrients and affects our hormones because when you have high amounts of sugar, that again will cause an increased surge in insulin. And your goal is to never try to make your body be taxed. So if you're doing something where your body has to produce an extra amount of insulin to absorb the types of food that you're eating, those are not good choices. I encourage my patients to imagine their diet where they're working on eating foods mostly in their diet that don't have labels. So lots of greens and veggies and making sure you're getting fruits in your diet. And instead of getting your nutrition from bottles with all these labels on it, go to the farmer's market and get the actual clean products. If you're not a vegetarian, you have poultry and fish, which is so good for omega-3. And making sure there's protein with every meal making sure you're not missing any meals. So having a well-balanced diet and really minimizing alcohol. Alcohol is a big trigger for hormonal imbalance, for candida overgrowth. So I encourage my patients to be mindful about the consumption of wine and beer and excess. And when I say excess, I tell my patients ideally no more than two to three glasses a week is what I would encourage you to do. Like everything in moderation. And then with working out, which is so important for your mental health as well as your physical health, I do encourage my patients to try to do more resistance training and incorporate weights as opposed to high-intensity cardio because the high-intensity cardio will increase your own body's production of cortisol, which is our stress hormone, and that can cause adrenal fatigue and it can cause our hormones to start to become a little bit more depleted. So encouraging a well-balanced diet 
And also exercise is important for your physical as well as your mental health, which we always like kind of throw casually and everyone knows this, but really like exercise is equivalent to an antidepressant or an anti-anxiolytic. Most psychiatrists will prescribe exercise in addition to prescription medications to help with mood disorders. And then finally, also practicing healthy habits. So sleeping seven to nine hours at night to let your body reset, to let your hormones get a chance to recharge and unplugging. You know, we spend so much time just plugged into our phones and gadgets and setting some healthy limits to social media exposure and getting a chance to just look up and to experience your world instead of looking down and looking at a screen and being in the sad world of comparison, which always, I think, depletes all of us into feeling so poorly about ourselves and our bodies and what we should be doing with the way we look and the way we are. And then most of all, I would say in terms of supplements, you cannot get everything you need from your macronutrients. So the micronutrients are where a doctor would look at your hormone testing, look at your actual health, and then give you a list of supplements that make specific sense to you. For women in their 20s and 30s, it's really important to have a diet that's rich in folate, omega-3, and CoQ10. Those are great supplements. And vitamin C and vitamin D are so important because those are the pillars for your immune system, which really lays the foundation for how we feel. If you have a weakened immune system, you're more prone to infections, fatigue, and hormonal imbalances. So micronutrients are important to discuss, especially as you're approaching your reproductive years, choosing a really well-balanced and complete prenatal vitamin. And many women will use gummy bears, and that's better than nothing. But you want to make sure you're picking a supplement that actually has bioavailability. So it means that it's actually entering the mitochondria or the DNA of your cells. So picking reputable companies and expensive doesn't mean that they're better, but picking ones that have science behind them and have studies that support what they're claiming on their bottles are important. And you don't need to have like 20 bottles of supplements. I always tell my patients, more is not always better. You want to have a few products that you actually know work, that make sense for you, and that are specific for you. So a lot of my patients go to naturopathic doctors, and I love naturopathic doctors. Some of my dearest friends are naturopathic doctors, and we always collaborate. But you want to make sure that it's not one size fits all. So if you are coming to me with a backpack or your purse full of like 15 different bottles of supplements that naturopath has prescribed for you or somebody has sold you or convinced you to buy, I really try to clean that up for you and find things that are more practical and that are more likely for you to actually continue for a longer period of time because you'll be consistent. You just hit so many great points. I want to go back for a moment when we were talking about diet because I think so often that's really overlooked. And I have to tell you from my personal experience that it was actually just this past month that I decided to cut out sugar and see how it would react with my body. And I'm such a sweet tooth. Give me anything sweet. I love candy and gummies and it's crazy. It's an addiction for sure. And so it was really coming from a place for me being like, I'm working so much on just making my routines work well for me so that they speak to my mental health. They speak to my mood. They speak to my overall well-being. And so I decided to cut out sugar and I cannot tell you, Shamsa, how much it has changed my mood It has just made me feel like me again. And even when you were talking about movement too, I loved how you were talking about really kind of more low impact 
resistance training type of workouts. I think so much of what we've been taught around wellness. I mean, I grew up in the era of Cosmo magazine and Teen Vogue telling me that I needed to burn X calories a day doing crazy cardio and HIIT workouts and all that sort of stuff. And it was when I finally decided to change my movement from this really high intensity workout and just rush that I completely found my body again. It's in the slower movement for me. And so I just love that because you were just hitting on cortisol. You're hitting on the concept of gut and hormone connection. It's amazing to hear that. I'm so glad to hear what a difference it makes. Just like small changes can make such a difference. And I have a sugar addiction myself where I would rather have sugar than an actual meal. So it's embarrassing how if a box of sprinkles comes to my office, I am the first one at that sprinkles chocolate cupcake. But I realized with myself, once you start having sugar, especially if you do tend to be more prone to sugar addictions, which is a true addiction, it ends up wreaking havoc on your hormones. And also you go through the sugar high, so your blood sugar spikes, and then you have a blood sugar low immediately after. So it doesn't make you feel good. And then the only way you feel good is by having more of it and more of it. The better way to think about our bodies instead of saying absolutes, like I'm not going to have sugar, I'm not going to have any carbohydrates. I think when you start being so strict or I'm going to eat good versus bad, and instead of putting labels on it, I think what's a really good way to approach it is I'm going to honor my body. I'm not going to focus on a number on a weighing scale, but I'm going to focus on how I feel. And when you nourish your body with healthy foods, you're telling yourself that you value yourself. You're telling yourself that you value feeling good and taking care of yourself. And it's you saying, I respect myself by taking care of yourself, by setting up those places in your day for exercise, sleep, even like a 10-minute meditation practice just to help calm the anxiety that I think all of us to a certain degree struggle with, some more than others, setting boundaries with relationships, getting rid of toxins in our life, whether it's sugar addictions, alcohol addictions, bad boyfriend addictions, whatever it is that we all have struggled with as women, it's important to start doing that and saying, I respect myself. And this is why I'm doing this. I value myself. Not like I'm trying to fit into these size clothes, or I'm trying to be a certain weight, or I'm trying to do a quick cleanse before I go on this event. It has to be, I'm doing this consistently because I value myself. I'm nourishing myself. And that means like whatever goes into your body, it has to be something that's good for you. And that includes a penis. I tell my patients, you know, when you're choosing what's entering your body, choose wisely because that's a privilege. Whatever you're putting in your body is a privilege. It's a gift that you're giving yourself. And so if it's something that doesn't feel good, if something that you know isn't good for you, it's better to just recognize that and to be done. And that includes so many things that we talked about. Amen. I love that so much. I am curious to know a little bit about the science, about really why our hormones and our fertility is so integral. Because I think even I don't quite understand the influence of it on everything else. Where do our hormones and fertility play a role outside of baby making? Because obviously they do, but you know the real facts here. 
when we talk about hormone imbalances and hormones, think about your body like an orchestra. And there's a symphony that's playing in your body. And they all have to work in a concert to make you have an optimal outcome. So you have your brain and your brain has your pituitary gland and your hypothalamus. And those release hormones that then stimulate your thyroid and your ovaries and your adrenal gland to secrete hormones. So for example... There's a hormone in our thyroid called the thyroid hormone and the parathyroid hormone. And that's the hormone that controls our metabolic rate. It controls our energy. It controls our sense of well-being. It basically sets a hemostasis. So it ends up telling us the baseline for how our body should feel. So if your thyroid is off balance, you're not going to feel good. Your metabolic rate changes, your weight changes, and then that starts to wreak havoc on insulin production and then the ovarian hormones. Then you have your adrenal gland hormone. And your adrenal gland hormone produces a little bit of testosterone and then a hormone called DHEA and cortisol. That's where stress comes into play. If you have high stress in your life and you have high cortisol, the cortisol will deplete your adrenal gland. So women will describe something called adrenal fatigue in my practice, where They'll come in and they just feel like they have to get through their day with drudgery. Like you feel like you're just going through the motions, but it's everything's an effort. Like getting out of bed, it's an effort. Moving, you feel almost depressed. You feel like you need to keep having caffeine during the day to get your body moving. And you just would rather sit. You have no energy or motivation to do anything. And then again, the weight comes on. You start to get the hormonal acne and the hair loss. And then the ovarian hormones are the most important because your ovaries will produce estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. Estrogen is our key female hormone. That's what makes us feel juicy. That's what makes your skin feel plump and have rich collagen and hyaluronic acid. It causes your vaginal tissue to feel healthy and lubricated. It helps you with your mood. It helps you with depression. It helps you with sexuality progesterone is our feel-good hormone. And that's the hormone that of all the hormones in our body, that's the one that I see is really deficient in the majority of women. That's the hormone where it's produced each month when a woman ovulates. So in your teenage years, you're not really ovulating. You have a lot of anovulatory cycles. So during your teenage years, many young women will come in and explain that they have severe painful periods. And it's because they have low progesterone. So they'll have debilitating cramps because they're not cleaning out the lining of the uterus each month. Progesterone is the hormone where when you're menstruating, each month after you ovulate, it's a sign of ovulation that an egg's been released successfully. And then progesterone cleans out the lining of the uterus. So if you have low progesterone, that's going to manifest as irregular periods or very painful periods. And then the severe mood changes, severe PMS or PMDD, where you just feel like either depressed or agitated, that rage. Low progesterone is also one of the hallmarks for polycystic ovaries because women who have PCOS don't always ovulate. Low progesterone manifests in women who are trying to get pregnant who have miscarriages because progesterone is the hormone that keeps the pregnancy glued inside the uterus. Progesterone is the hormone that plummets after you have a baby. So many women in the first year having a baby, they go through severe postpartum depression and mood changes and fatigue 
because of the rapid drop in progesterone that happens as soon as you deliver the baby in the placenta. And then low progesterone happens in my age group from your late 30s all the way through menopause because that's the hormone that, again, similar to being a teenager, you replicate that whole cycle in your perimenopausal years where you don't produce the hormone progesterone. So once again, you'll have the irregular periods, the debilitating, painful periods. And then when you go through menopause, of course, your ovaries stop functioning and they slowly have a gradual decline in your hormones. And so that, again, will cause women to feel very off balance and very depleted. So at each juncture, whether it's from your teenagers through your reproductive years, and your reproductive years, most women, their hormones depleted because they're being masked by birth control pills. Your birth control pills suppress your ovarian hormones. If I checked your hormone blood testing in your 20s and you're on birth control pills, your estrogen levels would be as low as mine in her late 40s because we both are having our ovaries suppressed, but in different ways. So getting to know each juncture of your reproductive years and where you're at and what your hormones should be doing, and then looking at the symptoms that you're experiencing and piecemealing it by getting data points. I always tell my patients, when I provide you with data, meaning let's do hormone blood tests, and we'll look at these numbers together and we'll see how off balance you are based on these numbers. And what's very important when you do hormone testing is you have to make sure you're not on birth control pills when you do the hormone testing or else you're not getting an accurate measure. The hormone testing should be done on your period if you're menstruating. And then the hormone testing should be analyzed with the viewpoint of looking at a spectrum. So for example, my patients will see me and they'll show me their levels and they're like, my last doctor said everything was normal. But I don't look at the blood test as black or white. I look at it as a range. So with a thyroid hormone, which is the one I started talking about, a normal level on a thyroid is 0.5 to 5. So that's a really broad range. But in my practice and in most diligent gynecology and fertility doctors' practices, we like the thyroid hormone, the TSH, to be less than 2.5. If it starts getting greater than 2.5, we see a higher incidence of miscarriages and weight gain. And we tell our patients, you have a sluggish thyroid. So any of my patients who have a thyroid hormone that's even a little bit higher than 2.5, we start addressing that with supplements and also possibly prescriptions. Same with your testosterone level. When you get your testosterone levels checked, you have to make sure a doctor knows not just to measure your total testosterone, but to look at your free testosterone. That's the amount that's actually circulating in your body. To look at your estrogen level and to look at it in a spectrum. So for example, 30 on your estradiol level in a woman in my age and menopause and perimenopause is great. The 30 when you're 20 to 35 is a very low number. So you want to find out what your estrogen level is like in relation to how old you are and where you should be at your particular lifestyle. And then there's a beautiful test that I encourage all of my patients to start to think about, especially as they're approaching 30 onward, and it's your egg reserve hormone. Even if fertility is way down the road for you, it's nice to have that number and to look and to have that aha moment of, okay, I'm good. These numbers look really good. I'm reassured. I don't need to panic as I enter my 30s and I'm approaching 35 onward. Or I need to make some decisions about what I want to do to give myself options in the future. And I always tell my patients, make sure you always have options for every aspect of your health. And the way we do that is by thinking a few steps ahead for you and with you. Thank you for all of that because you just shared a wealth of knowledge. What I'm garnering from all of this is really that our hormones influence almost every aspect of our mood, 
of our potential weight struggles, of our stress, and has influence, of course, on other things like PCOS and thyroid and all that sort of stuff. I mean, the fact that for the most part, we think going to the OBGY is about getting a pap smear and eventually going back if you are potentially thinking of having kids is crazy. Like I am already understanding this in such a broader sense. So thank you so much for explaining that because I think so many people listening are going to be like, oh my gosh, I'm even thinking of one of the questions that someone submitted today, which was really talking about PPMD, and you already were talking about that relating to hormones. Yeah. So when patients have premenstrual syndrome or premenstrual dysphoric syndrome, people joke about it like, oh, you must be on your period. You're being bitchy or cranky. It's actually awful. I have a lot of compassion for patients with PMDD and PMS because when I was menstruating in my 30s and the majority of my 40s, I had severe premenstrual dysphoric disorder, severe. And when you're in it, and as a gynecologist experiencing it was fascinating because you feel it, like you feel the surge of your mood just shifting. It becomes so dark. And dark can be rage and agitation and like an inferno. And then as soon as your period starts, you feel better again. But when you're in that inferno and you can't stop, you know it's happening, you know it's your uncontrolled sense inside you, but you have no way of actually talking yourself through it. It's so intense. And you experience that 25% of the month. Every month, like for some women, it starts 10 to 12 days before their period begins. So they have to wait for 12 days, then they have a period, and then the first two days. So half your month, you're spent struggling in this dark fog. And that's caused from a drop in progesterone and a drop in serotonin, which is when patients are given prescriptions for Prozac or Lexapro or Zoloft or those types of medications, that helps by improving your serotonin levels. And all of us as women experience a decline in progesterone and serotonin right before we have our menstrual cycle. But for some women, the loss is either so drastic or the way their body responds to that loss is so overwhelming that it can be truly debilitating and really wreak havoc on your health, your family, your work, and requires attention and serious thought because we joke about mental health and like, oh, she's cranky or she's crazy, but you know, not like the way we've been like, oh, you're feeling crazy. Right. Or she's being a bitch because she's exactly. on her period. But it's truly a diagnosis that requires a lot of compassion and understanding and help from multiple modalities, supplements, prescriptions, exercise, acupuncture, and looking at it from multiple different modalities to really obtain results that make you feel better. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm sorry that you have dealt with that. But if anything, I'm sure it's allowed you to help out your patients so much. You know, I feel that it's nice having a female OBGYN because when my patients come in and describe painful periods or PMS or their pregnancy or their perimenopause, I've gone through and I'm going through those phases. And so I can draw on my own experiences and also really extend compassion to what women are experiencing because even though I'm a gynecologist, I also go through those experiences. I love it. Gosh, I feel like I have a plethora of questions that I just have left and that I want to get into with you, but I kind of am like, let's reserve this for our next podcast together because there's just so much to go off of from here. I mean, I'm even curious about PCOS. I'm still even more curious about some of these modalities you keep mentioning, like acupuncture. So there's a lot to get into with you, and I feel like we've only just brushed the surface, but 
I really would love to ask you about your own sexual wellness routine and what that has looked like for you over the years or even just currently what that's looking like. So for me, what I'm focusing on right now is my wellness from the inside out. Because if I'm practicing medicine and helping my patients, I have to practice the same things I'm encouraging my patients to execute. The number one thing that I've implemented, especially in the last three years, has been meditation. I found that my mental health was really starting to take a toll with the stress and the responsibility of the work that I do and the hours that I have to put in, plus life that happens with family and raising a teenager and being in COVID and being in a pandemic. So meditation was a really beautiful part of what I've started to do on a regular daily practice. Instead of reaching for my phone every morning where I would just look at it and start scrolling, all I would see is news and noise. So instead, I've started to wake up an extra 30 minutes early and I'll do breath work for myself. And I've used apps like Headspace. I also use something called iBreathe just to focus on taking deep breaths in and out. Sometimes I do box breathing where you visualize going from one corner of the box to another. And it just allows me to start my morning instead of waking up in a panic of, oh, I have this, this, and this to do. I'm able to center myself and start it from a place of calm. And it just, that's really helpful for me. And then taking time in the morning as well to take my dog for a walk in the morning earlier, just so I can, again, get some fresh air and get my body moving. And then for me, the most important thing I've been able to now start to implement is eating better. So removing the sugar from my diet. I don't drink alcohol at all. So that's been helpful to not have to worry about that. But removing caffeine. So I have like one small cup of tea every morning now, but that's the extent of my caffeine intake. And then nourishing myself with a lot of greens and vegetables and clean food without a lot of labels and making sure I'm getting my protein in 60 to 100 grams of protein a day and then exercising. So I'm getting older. We become softer as you go through perimenopause. So making sure I'm starting to do resistance training and focusing on using muscle mass and weights with my teenage son who's been happy to help me learn how to retrain my body. So that's been really important. And then the biggest thing I've also learned to do is to invest in therapy. I have a standing date with my own therapist once a week. I have no shame or stigma in sharing that with my patients. I encourage everybody to really attend to their mental health because I have learned through my own experiences and through stress and anxiety, and we all struggle with mental health. And so instead of hiding behind other things to numb that mental health anxiety or concerns that women have, I think it's better to have a safe place where once a week you process it and you find you can't hide. You actually have this trusted person who can give you incredible tools to help you navigate through the changes that we go through. Because if your mental health is not balanced, if you're struggling with anxiety and depression and difficulty with stress management and boundary setting. It takes a toll on you with the cortisol, with your hormones. You don't feel good. You can eat as well as you could. You could work out every day. You could sleep. You could take all the supplements in the world, all the prescriptions the doctors give you. But if you're not actually addressing your mental health in a way that's genuine, authentic, and doing the work with somebody who's a professional who can guide you through that, that's a disservice. And I wish insurance companies would allow this to be a covered benefit for patients 
or I wish all patients had the access and the privilege to seek out the best therapist because a lot of them don't accept insurance. But mental health doesn't have to be expensive. And it is an investment that I encourage every single one of my patients to invest in. I love that. Thank you so much for bringing that up. It is so important. I'm such an advocate for it as well. And I always joke that my best skincare routine is going to therapy (laughs) because it just keeps me glowing. It keeps my cortisol levels down, all the things. So I do wholeheartedly agree with you. And thank you so much for sharing that, even just coming from your own perspective from the health field. And of course, probably seeing so many patients who you probably hear time and time again, those same things and those same problems that keep coming up. So I'm sure that that feels very prevalent for you. Yes. And you know, the biggest project I'm working on with my therapist is joy. We've started having a lot of discussions and really being accountable. But you know, she asked me last summer, and it really was a big pivotal moment for me of what brings me joy. And I talked about being a doctor and being a mother to my team, my son. And she's like, no, that's what you do. You're a mother and you're a doctor. That's what you do. But what brings you joy that's separate from both of those roles? And it's so important for all of us, especially as women, where we're so used to giving, 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 giving. It's really important to find out what brings us joy and what that looks like. And self-care, and when I think about joy and self-care, it's not about like a day at the spa or getting your nails done. It's really deeper than that. Like, what are you doing to nourish yourself and to take care of you? So what she and I did is we've come up with like three things that I'll do for myself consistently every month to make sure that I have that as part of my routine to focus on that joy journey. That's amazing. Ooh, joy. That's a good word. That's a good one. Okay. My last question for you, what is currently on your bedside table? Okay. So on my current bedside table, I have two books that I'm reading. I love to read. So that's been my sanctuary is just reading novels. I'm an avid reader. So I'm reading a book right now called Anxious People, which is so funny and so good. And then Silent Patience, which is a book that I devoured over Thanksgiving. And I loved it so much that I'm reading it again because I feel like I read it so quickly on my vacation because it was so juicy and incredible that I wanted to like read it again. I also have this beautiful arrangement of flowers that one of my patients gifted me with today that smells so nice. I brought it up to my bedroom um, for delivering her little baby, Juliet. I delivered her baby a few days ago. So she was so thoughtful postpartum to send me flowers. And then I have a treat for my dog who's sitting next to me. He's got his little dog treat next to me. (laughs) I love it. I love that so much. Gosh, I could ask you so many questions. I feel like I could talk to you for a whole two hours, but Like I said, we absolutely have to have a part two. So we'll just save that conversation for then. But until then, where can listeners connect with you and find you online? And of course, where can they connect with you if they are looking for an OBGY in Thank you. So I do do virtual appointments in addition to in-person appointments. Our website is um, www.dremercy, so Dr. Emercy, A-M-E-R-S-I.com. I'm on Instagram, but I think especially for if patients are looking for a consult or they just wanted to check out some resources, our website has a lot of useful information. Amazing. All right. Well, I'll leave that in the show notes, but thank you so much for 
joining us today. And I'm so, so happy we were able to connect. Have a great night and I look forward to seeing you soon. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Bedside Podcast. If you liked this episode and want to follow along with similar stories and interviews, be sure to check out our Instagram at thebedside and thebedside.co online. Make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and of course, share with your friends. It's the best way you can support us and our good sex mission. Thank you for listening. No